1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're actually going to uh, read verses 10 all the way through 25. And we'll be picking bits and and pieces out of that section. Uh, So as you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll remind you a little bit of what we've learned already in this book. Uh, The big idea that we are learning in in this book of the Bible is that the church is imperfect, but has been given a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill it. The church is imperfect, but has been given a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill it. And then the rest of the book will be laying out exactly um, what are these imperfections and how can we improve and and move toward Christ-likeness in these things? Uh, What is this holy calling and how can we begin to grab hold of that more firmly? And what is this power we've been given to fulfill it? Today, we'll mainly be focused on the power that we have access to, to fulfill our holy calling. That's what we're going to focus on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Let's read it together. Well, I'm going to read it and you read it quietly. Let's read it together, me verbally, you quietly, silently. I'm going to read this, y'all listen. (laughs) I appeal to you, brothers. This is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's words to a, a people, the Corinthian Christians, Preserved for us, so we know that he's also talking to us, okay? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. That verse alone gives me a lot of comfort because I have not baptized that many people. And I find myself actually remembering, I baptized them. Or who did I baptize? It helps me to know that Paul also seems to struggle to remember who all he baptized or did not baptize. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's an important verse in this section. So I'm going to read it one more time. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 
But to those who are, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Father, this passage is so rich and deep and full of treasures. And I just ask that you would help us to unearth uh, just what you want us to take away from it for today. I know that we could return to this for countless Sundays. I ask that you would please help me to serve your people well. Give me a clarity and um, conviction and give us all ears that hear and eyes that see the spiritual truths you are trying to impart to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So while there is much that could be said from this powerhouse of a passage, um, I have boiled down the message I believe God wants me to give to you today into one big, probably run-on sentence. So this is the sermon in a sentence for today. I already see heavy eyelids. So if you could just hang on for this sentence, you will have gotten the main point of what I'm trying to tell you today. We have the true power of Christ. But that power is not evident to most. Therefore, we're tempted to abandon it for the false power of performance. Okay, that's the big sermon in a sentence. If you take notes, write that down because it's, it's long to try to remember. We have the true power of Christ. But that power is not evident to most people. Therefore, we're tempted to abandon it for the false power of performance. Now, I want to show you how I arrive at that statement, that proclamation that I believe to be true from this passage. First, I want to remind you that we have the true power of Christ. What is this power? There's lots of clues here in the passage that we just read. Uh, He mentions it in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So here we see the cross of Christ is full of power, but that power can be sapped by human words of eloquent wisdom if used in the wrong way. Verse 18 is another clue. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so this power comes from the word of the cross, And it's the power of God. Okay, divine, supernatural power is what we have access to in the cross of Christ, in the word of the cross. All right, number nine, uh, verse 19 has another clue. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So this power has the effect of not just surpassing the wisdom of wise humans or the, the um, discernment of discerning humans. It doesn't just surpass it, it destroys it. It's so powerful, it's so wise that it, it obliterates human wisdom. Verse 21, another clue. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So it's a power divine. It's a power supernatural. It's a power that obliterates human wisdom. And it's a power that saves those who believe. This is the sort of power that we have 
in Jesus Christ as Christians, as the church. From the counsel of the rest of God's word, we know that this power of the gospel, the word, the news about what Jesus did on the cross is powerful enough to bring spiritually dead people to life. Okay, so that um, sibling of yours that you pray for and that you is so far from God and that you just can't even imagine actually becoming a Christian. The power, the singular power to make that happen is the cross of Christ, the word of Christ, the gospel, the simple proclaimed truth that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and rose from the grave so that if you will believe in him and follow him, you can be forgiven of all your sins and given a new life relating with God the way you were meant to be. That simple statement, that simple news that this happened, this is the power that can bring that relative of yours that is so spiritually dead to life, resurrection spiritually. It's the power that releases those who are imprisoned in guilt and shame from their sins of their past to release them. It's the power that is sufficient to cancel all the debt of our sins. It's the power that frees those who are enslaved to sin. You know, people among us and all around us are just enslaved to sin. They're doing things that are destroying their lives and the lives of their people that care about them and they can't stop. It's not even always that they don't want to stop. It's that they can't stop. How, what do we do? What power do we have to tackle any of this other than the cross of Jesus Christ? It is the power and we have it. Now here's the tricky part. I really think that we can expect based on God's word that most people are going to see the gospel as foolishness. As folly. And then there'll be some for whom it is everything. It is the power of God to salvation. It is freedom from sin. It's forgiveness from sin. It's new life. It's, it's the access into all the divine power of God himself. And it seems like everybody was saying, I got baptized by Paul. Who'd you get baptized by? Matt Broadway, who's that? I got baptized by Paul. It'd be like saying, I got baptized by Billy Graham. Oh, you got baptized by Glennon Balser? I guess that's okay. For me, it was uh, Billy Graham. No big deal. Paul was recognizing that this hero worship was beginning and these fan, this fan club culture was developing. And the people were stepping off of the power of Christ and instead were worshiping these church leaders. And so he said, well, I, just, I stopped even trying to baptize anybody because I didn't want anybody saying with pride, I was baptized by Paul. And then, of course, he remembers, well, I did baptize Gaius and, and these couple of people. But overall, mainly, all I did was preach the gospel to you. Okay? Any, other people can baptize if that's going to avoid the confusion of people becoming a big fan of Paul and forgetting about Christ. Okay? But that's not the most important part of the verse. It's kind of one of the most interesting parts of the verse, but not the most important part. So let's go back to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. And here's, here's a pivotal part. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why not? 
lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So there's some way in which words of eloquent wisdom can actually suck the power right out of the cross and make the cross an inanimate object, a a decorative thing and not a powerful thing. So what does he mean by words of eloquent wisdom? In ancient Roman culture, in big cities like the city of Corinth, uh, rhetorical oratory skills were highly celebrated. People would would travel and basically go on tour to the big cities and they would would fill up the stadium and, and they would give speeches. And those who were really good speakers who spoke with eloquent wisdom gained fans and gained applause and praise and they were looked at as the celebrities of that time. You know, they didn't have Hollywood. They didn't have celebrities like we do. So they worshiped these heroes who could use the word, use the spoken word in eloquent, wise ways. Okay, the, the word translate, translated eloquent there is Sophia. It's the word where we get sophisticated from or philosophy. And what he's saying is, I came to you not to baptize and make a name for myself, not to see who, how many followers I could get on Twitter or how many friends I could get on Facebook or how many people I could get with, with my church's decal in the back of their window. I came to you to preach the gospel. And I came to you to preach it as just the gospel, not Paul's witty words of wisdom. I don't, I don't want fans. I just want you to get the gospel. And if I did start to try to get fans and try to, try to puff myself up with a performance, it would totally negate everything I'm doing. It would completely cancel out the power of the cross. That's how dangerously powerful performance is in being the church. It can totally negate the power of the cross and totally empty it. There is a way to go about ministry that so exalts performance that it empties the cross of Christ of its power. So to put flesh on this, it's helpful for us to remember that there is no power in a worship service. There's no power in a worship service. There's no power in Sunday school. There's no power in house to house. There's no power in a youth group. There's no power in men's fellowship group. There's no power in young at heart. Okay, there's no power in me saying things up here. There's no power in brilliantly done music. Unless all those things are a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that breathes any power into anything that we can do as Christians. Okay, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's all empty performances. So let's use VBS as an example. Okay, so it does this mean that we should expend no effort to doing anything other than just blandly telling people Jesus died for you? Is it wrong to decorate? Is it wrong for Meredith to prepare to, prepare to, to lead an assembly of these children to use a DVD with music and things like that, to send out flyers inviting children. Is that, does that empty the cross of its power? 
I think that it can if we forget that the power lies in the gospel. And if we get so distracted by the decorations and the sending out of flyers and the preparing for assembly and the getting the PowerPoint to work right, if we get so distracted by that that we forget what we're doing in the first place. And when the kids come in, we're all stressed out and and we're just trying to have fun and make it through this week. And we forget that we have this wonderful opportunity with these children. We have their full attention and we can tell these kids, Jesus died for you. And if you will trust and follow him, you can live a life of freedom and forgiveness. And you can live a life with God who created you to be with him. And we love you and we want you to have this good news, this gospel. So yes, VBS could, could be an empty endeavor that could empty the cross of its power. Uh, yes, me preaching could be an empty endeavor that could empty the cross of its power. And I dare say probably it has been at some times because I'm a man just like you. I, uh, my flesh loves the applause of people just like yours is, yours does. So there's definitely been times I've been more distracted by trying to be eloquent rather than just trying to give you the gospel. And you know, the Lord works on me in that. You know, this does not mean that we should expend no effort in communicating the gospel. Uh, one bit of evidence for that is the book of 1 Corinthians itself. I mean, there's lots of eloquently spoken wise words in this book as Paul is tripping all over himself to try to make the gospel plain to this church. But the point is he's not resting on his wisdom and he's not leaning on his eloquence to save the day. And that's not where his power is coming from. It's only the gospel. You know, if we, if we took this statement of mine, you know, dumbly to the fullest extent on Sunday mornings, I would stumble in here in my pajamas. I would not have prepared anything. And every Sunday I would just say, Jesus died for you. Church dismissed. Next Sunday, Jesus died for you. Church dismissed. So yes, we need to roll up our sleeves and work hard and do our very best to give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to build up Doolin's Grove Church, not to try to do at least as good a VBS as Arlington Baptist Church, not to, to show our friends who go to this other church that's just got more happening stuff going on. Well, we do stuff too. None of that matters. The gospel matters. We need a a lot of the things that, that we as Christians expend energy toward. We need a lot less than we think we do. Now I'll give you an example. I um, come from a background of marketing and PR and I love marketing I still read books about marketing. Um, so there, there is an element of me that wants to market Doolin's Grove. But then the Holy Spirit says, don't market Doolin's Grove. Market Jesus Christ. You know, tell people about Jesus. But early on, I wanted us to have a cool website. You know, because that's what my generation looks for. I cannot tell you how much time I have spent on our website. Now, have any of you ever even been to our website? Probably like maybe two of you have even ever been to our website. And I think maybe one person that I know of for sure has ever even come to our church because of the website. And that wasn't because it was a cool website. It's just that's where they Googled to find our, our address and our times. I put all this time into that. Not a very fruitful endeavor. Now, if I had used that time instead to 
prayerfully try to train and disciple some teachable men who could then in turn train and disciple some other men, that probably would have been a lot better use of that time. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with a good website. We should do the best we can with everything we try to do. And I think that we need a website to, so people can find us and all that. But we don't need it as much as, as we can tend to think that we do. And if everything goes wrong with all of that, if, if we're here for a worship service and our, you know, our sound doesn't work, our projection doesn't work, uh, my voice is scratchy because I'm you know, sick or something and everything falls apart, you know what we would do? We wouldn't close the doors and say, well, it's a total failure. We'd all huddle together and we'd pray together and we'd be reminded of the gospel together and the power would still be here. Power would still be here because the power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means that we need all these other peripheral things a lot less than we think. It also means that we have a lot more power than we think. We're not helpless against the, uh, the tides of, of darkness in this world. We have the power of God himself and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be bold. We can be confident. We can be calm. We can rest assured that God loves us. We can rest assured that he is building his church in this world. We must not abandon the true power of Christ to rely on the false power of performance. Let's keep our focus on Christ. And not the peripheral things. Let's not let those things distract us. Let's not stress about those things. I can't tell you how much stress peripheral things caused, especially church leadership, especially your pastor. None of those things should ever cause us stress because those are uh, just little doodads on the real source of power. Let's not make the peripheral things our starting place when we think about how to move forward as a church. Let's Let's focus on Christ and see how we can move forward most effectively with the gospel. And then we'll figure out what ways we want to use to to do that. And lastly, let's gather the low-hanging fruit first. The power of the gospel in its unadorned state is still the power of the gospel. So let's not skip over the simple act of praying for our loved ones and simply sharing Christ with them. You know, gathering up that fruit that's already fallen off the tree that's right there that we can do right now to expend effort to build a scaffolding over top of the tree to, to get the fruit off the top. You know, we should, we should be praying for the people in our lives. We should be intentionally trying to get the gospel to them in the simple everyday things. And then on top of that layer, we can add other stuff like VBS, like uh, men's fellowship, like young at heart, like youth group, like all that stuff is great. But let's not sidestep the daily gospel living because there's great power right there just in simply giving people the gospel. It's exciting. It's exciting to have this power. It's exciting to wonder what God might do. What God might do in a way that brings no glory to Doolin's Grove Church. That's, that's, I don't know why this is so invigorating to me to think that God might work through us in such a way that nobody ever hears the name Matt Broadway or Doolin's Grove Church. But that many people come to Christ. And that people in Charlotte five, ten years from now look around and they're like, man, everybody's following Jesus. Who did that? I don't know. The Christians. Jesus must really be who he claims to be. That I, I love the thought of that. I long for that. 
We have the true power of Christ, but that power is not evident to most. Therefore, we're tempted to abandon it for the false power of performance. Let's not ever give in to that temptation. Let's joyfully, boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ every opportunity we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you have gathered us up into this place, that you have gathered us up to be your people. I thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are accepted, we are in. I thank you that we can relate to you and pray to you and know that we have your love and full acceptance in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we don't have to stress about the small stuff, that we know we are swept up into your mighty plan to develop your kingdom across the ages around the world. Let us do our part. Show us with uh, crystal clarity what you would have us do as individuals and as a church. Help us to see the temptation to abandon the power of Christ for the false power of performance when it raises its ugly head. Help us to see it for what it is. Lord, let us never forget that this is all about Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.